This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from our coverage of Nash Tag 2023, plus the discussion that Jorn Schottenberg, Histoin X Chief Scientific Officer, Dean Tai, and I held about Histoindex's zonal analysis of fibrosis, which you can find as part of episode two for season four. This conversation with Stephen Harrison, Mazen Nuruddin, and Jorn Schottenberg starts with Mazen discussing how exciting and informative the new sessions on non-invasive tests were. He describes his own surprise at how much data Litmus and Nimble were able to share. Jorn's bottom line? We will find more NITs, but do not need them to be able to push treatment far forward today. I suggest that the correct classification metrics, which are based on the percentage of patients classified correctly, might be more important in practical treatment than the other metrics used on clinical tests like PPV or positive and negative predictive values, which may have better values within their range, but you can make a large number of patients indeterminate and as a result, not be able to tell as much about as many patients as you can with correct classification. Stephen Harrison compliments the NIT discussion in the meeting, commends Mazen's observation that NASH is not the only disease area working its way through predictive non-invasive tests. Mazen actually mentioned uh, Alzheimer's. Mazen then moves on to the next session, where Vlad Ratziu, Rohit Lumba, and Stephen discussed important areas in clinical trial design. Vlad discussed combination therapy, is Rohit, Gene Snips, and Stephen Cirrhosis. Within that, Stephen shifts to discuss the idea that by providing continuous scoring, NITs appear to provide better guidance on whether drugs are working or not. Mazda agrees, pointing out how high the bar is to call a patient treated with drug success under current standards. And as the talk winds down, Jorn notes that intercepting magical and providing data we can dive into for years. And Stephen describes again the high value that AI digital pathology will provide in sorting out how many patients are improving using continuous measures. NASH Tech 2023 was a watershed moment for fatty liver disease, the place where exciting drug development readouts, powerful academic work on non-invasive tests, and the willingness to dive into the toughest questions aligned in a meeting that Scott Friedman described as being like drinking out of a fire hose. So just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, ponder, listen again if you need to. And when you're done, join the conversation in our LinkedIn discussion group. Mazen Nuruddin. Let me try start from my session and some of the comments that I heard. I had someone from DSK who, very knowledgeable guy, came up to me and he said, well, I looked at the NIT session and I said, should I go or should I not? And I'm glad I came. I thought it will be the same old thing, telling us about fasted mass. But it was really, in my mind, I mean, I'm biased because I was of the session, but I was very pleased to hear what Nimble and Litmus have done. So now, like, I'm summarizing my session. I think they contributed to the field significantly. Arun Sanyal talked about a couple of things. I will, like the two things that they strike my mind is how he showed up multiple tests and how they perform. So they actually are producing now. And uh, he showed us how like they're testing, for instance, imaging and look at the repeatability of imaging markers across centers. Then Quentin came and talked about litmus and the huge number of sample size. In addition to them tapping on multi aspects, including machine learning, diagnosing the disease and eventually they're going to start or they already started collecting outcomes. I was very pleased to hear that. And then with the next three talks, I think what we tried to do is we had NITs all along the way, uh, including we started from FIP4, moved to transcendentography, and then MRE came. But what I was noticing that people were getting a little bit NITs fatigued, that there are too many of them, despite the fact that we had multiple good biomarkers and scores that came up in the last two years after the pandemic, including mass, 
MAFIB, NIST 4, NIST 2, MASSIVE, you name it. So it's like going to perfection to pin it down. And I go back to the statement that Yarn mentioned about Phil Newsom. They're not perfect, but we're getting closer. Some people said, well, you guys keep moving fast and quick, even with NIT, with the target. So I think that session highlighted all the new highlights in the world of NITs on both sides, how to use it clinically and in the patients and in clinic, as well as in clinical trials. And the context of use is very important. You can switch between sensitivity and specificity depends where you are in office or you're screening for clinical trials or you're looking for treatment response. So personally, I was quite excited about it. Jörn Schattenberg. Mezen is very smart and he understands all these different sensitivity and specificities. I think you had seven terms on your list, including the correctness, right? Which one was that? The correct classifier. Apologies. Classification, which is like what gives you money for your your pocket, right? That the what is actually your really detecting true and with your NITs. I think bottom line here is we have enough NITs to treat patients if a drug becomes available, decide about treatment response. We're going to learn more from the corresponding trial. It's academically the challenge for us or also the interest to develop new NITs. And I think there's room for that, but we don't need more newer NITs. We can start treating patients now. You know, it's, it's an interesting point that the two of you make collectively. If NITs follow other technologies, not in medicine, and even in fact in medicine, what happens after a while is that something is good enough and broad enough and gets enough commercial momentum behind it that it tends to take over. And at that point, even better tests have a hard time making their way in because sometimes we decide that we've gotten to good enough and then we just build on the platform we have. Uh, the most famous example of that, well, there, there, there are bunches of them in technology, but why are we all using uh, Microsoft instead of Apple? Because 40 years ago, some guy who developed an app, operating system for Apple uh, didn't want to talk to IBM. They wound up with Bill Gates instead, just a fluke of nature. At some point, we're going to get this right enough for treating patients that that's going to become the platform. And people are going to move on to other questions. Not not entirely. They'll keep developing, but it's going to take a much bigger threshold to get over that. And frankly, Mazen, not just for clinical trials, but I wonder if correct classification, even for patient treatment, is going to be the hill on which NITs wind up living and dying. Because at the end of the day, right, the goal is when you look at a patient, how quickly can you figure out what's really going on? And in that moment, indeterminate zone is of no value at all. So the reason, the more you talk about this, the more it hits me that that might actually be where the solution winds up lying for every everybody and, and what's the most efficient way to get to a correct classification? Well, I'm, I'm biased in way or another because I was fortunate to be part of creating a test that had a very low indeterminate zone, which is which is the mast. But the other tests can be mitigated by, as you know, sequential testing and narrowing down that indeterminate zone, though that will cost more because you're doing another test. But yeah, I have to give a credit to Laurent Castero, actually, who is probably the most knowledgeable about true uh, correct classification or true classification, whatever you want to call it. And I had many discussions with him about that. Stephen Harrison. I think the, the whole NIT session that we had is was fantastic yesterday. We'll have an extension of that today where we begin to look at these NITs with specific contexts of use. But it's evolving, it's being refined. And I like the way Mazen took a slide out of a different therapeutic area and said, you know, it's not just a challenge in NASH, it's a challenge in multiple other areas. I think he highlighted Alzheimer's as one of the challenges in building a myriad of non-invasive tests to help refine who should get therapy and how to monitor response. And that was actually 
apropos knowing that the drug got approved for Alzheimer's yesterday. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, you, you, you foretold something there. Hopefully that'll continue to evolve in, in our field. And I think if you give a talk on NITs, there's so many of them, you think you're going to forget one. As you begin to put the blood-based biomarkers, the proprietary biomarkers that blend several together with the imaging biomarkers and then the combination of imaging and blood-based biomarkers, you know, I always think, oh, which one am I forgetting? There's a whole bunch of them out there. But I think it's like anything else. We'll learn how to use them. We'll refine them. We'll figure out how to incorporate likelihood ratios and Fagan's nomogram or however we want to do it. You know, it's great to see that evolution of discussions around NITs where maybe seven years ago when we launched NASHTAG, it was, well, here's an NIT and we're nowhere near the level of knowledge that we are now. So, Maz and I challenge you to continue to refine your work in the area because seven years from now, we're going to look back on this meeting and say, wow, remember where we were back in 2023? And now we have drugs that they're working so we can look at the response to therapy. So I think the way I see to that, although we really want to test NITs against outcomes, which as multiple people said, this is probably the end game goal or the most important part. I think now the next step with these efficacious therapies that we look at NITs correlation with histological response, why we're building things like nail NITs and other consortiums and trials that have outcomes and rope to the correlation with NITs and outcomes. And I'm sorry to hijack the beginning of the talk with NITs, but I really also want to discuss the next session that Stephen Rohit and Vlad did. So I love that session, to be honest. I'm glad that Vlad went over his time because he gave a brilliant talk. And as I said, Rohit picked on him and uh, because he went over his time. And Rohit went over his time and also gave an outstanding talk. And then the finale was great. Stephen came and talked about cirrhotic trials, which is something what we really need to talk about more because now we know that we have efficacious drug. We know from the hepatology literature that cirrhosis is reversible. And there's a proof of concept study that uh, fruxifermin might work on cirrhosis. So I think we're moving the needle there. So starting with Vlad's talk, I think he has a review paper coming in hepatology. And I think he used many of the slides from that paper. It was just brilliant talked about talking about why the combo are important, the challenges why we have with the combo, consideration considerations with the combo therapy. And I'll let others comment on it as well. Uh, but I thought it was very well done. Rohit's talk was also outstanding. He did not complicate it with digging deep to all the SNPs that we know about and rightfully focus on the two most important SNPs that they are most promising for therapies, pain on P3 and HSD. I thought his approach is interesting, like his futuristic look that you look at HSD and PNLP3 and you do precision medicine. And if the patients don't fit that, you can move them to other therapies. I might look at it a little bit differently from that perspective. I probably will combine the first talk with the second talk. And I say, we might genotype patients eventually. And the combo drug will be based on the genotype that they come up with, give them one precision medicine drug and another drug that are efficacious, maybe the precision medicine drug as induction therapy and the other as a follow-up therapy. So there are multiple ways to look at this. And finally, the king of clinical trials design topped that at the end with the cirrhotic uh, trial design. I think actually, to be honest, designing cirrhotic trials, especially with entry criteria with NITs, is probably the easiest goal in terms of skipping biopsy. And we started seeing that with the resmitterum outcome data that we don't need a biopsy within six months of the trial. It can be as long as five years. I, indeed, I hope that they get rid of the biopsy completely based on the liver form criteria that we put together. But I think they were still cautious and they put biopsy up to five years. But I think cirrhotic 
trials can be a great entry for get rid of the biopsy completely, look at outcomes. We, we're very sure now how to diagnose cirrhosis based on ITs. I, I can talk way more, but I, I want to leave the chance to the others. I'm with you. I, this is important. I think this is uh, really where we're going to see outcomes. So, I, and I think we've discussed this before on this podcast. Now, the other thing that maybe I was wondering whether you heard an answer to that is how do we decide when patients actually become cirrhotic? And there were some numbers we're thinking about continuing them in our trials that we enrolled them at an F3, and then we have to follow them up and maybe decide when they are cirrhotic. I think this is like the next arena where NITs will be challenged to really depict those patients because they develop outcomes. I mean, the discussion around the progression to cirrhosis is relevant, but uh, we need uh, something to follow them. Your comments made me think of another point that's coming out of this meeting, and my days are mixed up a little bit. I think a lot of it will come out today, but the way that these NITs are starting to foretell in a much more accurate way than liver biopsy what's happening with drug therapy is pretty amazing. And again, one nice thing about NASHTAG is it allows us time to sit back and do a deep dive into the data that's coming out. Because if you just look at the data at face value, people are looking at how much NASH resolution there is, how much fibrosis improvement there is, how much of both are we seeing. But we're not really spending a lot of time on the group that doesn't move, the groups that stay the same, and the groups that worsen. And what we're beginning to see with these NITs, and I'll highlight that again today, at least with the Regenerate data I'm going to present, is these NITs are moving in a very nice dose-response manner, even in patients that are on ordinal scoring, not changing. And they're still moving in the group that is on ordinal scoring, worsening. Now, it's not the same magnitude of effect of NITs, but there's still a very clear dose-response relationship. And the next several years of drug development in NASH, there's going to be a focus. There has to be a focus on what's really happening with this group that is stable, quote-unquote stable, and this group that is somewhat progressing. I mean, we take it for granted, based on the Sinecriverock data that came out, that 20% are going to worsen on their own and 40% are going to stay the same. You know, we can work on the, the rest, but I don't think that's accurate. I think as we evolve from ordinal scoring to continuous scoring to NITs, that we're going to be able to show that there's a bigger efficacy than what we're really seeing with ordinal scoring. But I, I thought I would throw that out there for a conversation because I, I would like to get you guys' opinion on that. Yeah, I actually think this is really, really important point, Stephen. And I was talking to someone yesterday about this point. One of the hypotheses that I have, don't forget the bar that we are at right now. I think it's a high bar in histology. You have NASH resolution without fibrosis worsening or fibrosis improvement without worsening of NASH. So let's take the second example for a second. When you have people that they they improving their fibrosis and you have a liver biopsy that showed you possibly with a sample error that there's a little bit worsening of NASH, you're counting those as non-responders versus they could be actually responders. It's just the inflammation is not gone yet or there's a sample error. So if we started with two-point NASH, we started without these, without like, you know, back in the days and now the bar is higher. This is part of the group that they are improving on an ITs, which look, especially with MRIs, look more globally for the liver disease itself. It's very important to give Madrigal and Intercept a credit. They need to look to break it down by the outcomes that the FDA wants and then look at the old traditional outcome and see how it looks like comparing where we started with vitamin E when we were at two point of NAS and all that. I think they still have value and they're still informative, especially as you exactly said, the NITs and these groups are, are moving the right direction. And over time, we might see more and more improvement in this group. So some people say, well, I wish I ha- I've seen a little bit more spike 
responsiveness to these therapies? Well, maybe there is already there, but also there's the concept of combination therapy with, with these drugs, yada, yada. Mezen, I agree with that statement, and I'd like to repeat uh, Stephen's toast. When he opened the meeting on the first evening, he toasted to Intercept and Madrigal, because I think these two studies are going to inform us on how to use NITs in these patients responding in the non-serotic arena, and uh, this is going to last for the next uh, five years. I think it's going to be very valuable for drug development. Thank you for, for that, Jorn, but I, I think the other thing is the AI digital pathology. I always go back to the phase two resmeterome data, where the ordinal scoring p-value on fibrosis was nowhere near significant. It didn't show anything, really. But when we went to AI pathology, AI digital path, and looked at second harmonic generation, the F3 population, 50% of them were moving. None of the placebos were moving. And that's what helped us power the phase three to 60% F3 patients and gave us confidence that there was something happening on fibrosis. And, you know, in retrospect, looking back, one of the messages I tried to deliver yesterday was what lessons can we glean from these deeper dives, whether it's NITs or it's AI digital path that can help inform what's likely to happen down the road. We'll start to learn some of those important lessons because if we just step back and look at what's being presented, we're, we have clues to all of these phase twos to help design the phase threes. I totally agree. I think we do. And at certain point, some people start saying, well, you guys are over-interpreting things with path AI and NITs and all this. But now a day has come that, well, it's they are common common sense things. If platelet improved, that means portal hypertension is improving. If stiffness is improving, that means there's something good happening in the liver. Stiffness reflects fibrosis, and if it improves, there's less fibrosis, and there's improvement. So all that as put together with these two studies. I- I'm glad many researchers kept pressing on the hypothesis and the studies that they have done, and that's where we are today. And the F3 example is outstanding, Stephen. It led to fibrosis improvement that they did not see in a non-powered study for histology previously. So it led to a great outcome in, in, in this study. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episodes from NASHTAG, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com and we'll try to get you some support. We will be back next week. Our topic is in flux due to some commercial considerations, but whatever we do will be interesting, energized, and follow in the spirit of this amazing meeting. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.